How can school librarians work to move away from being gatekeepers and towards being gateways to information? Today, I am joined by the brilliant Laura Mustard and we discuss this very question. I'm your host, Celeste Kirsch, and we are teaching tomorrow. Laura Mustard has been a coach with Cohort 21 for a few years now, but more relevantly, she's the librarian at St. Clement's School in Toronto. One of my favorite things is to talk to Laura about what books my students should be reading, how to instill a love of reading in young people, and what innovative projects she's cooking up in her space. In our conversation, we talk about the privilege that librarians have to not only watch students grow up through literature, but also the profound role that she plays as being an adult that doesn't grade children. This unique position allows Laura to help students engage with learning for the sake of learning, which is really what all of us hope for with our students. Laura and I chatted in her house and her adorable cats wanted to make an appearance on the podcast. So if you hear some cute little mewing in the background, you can just picture them crawling all over us while we were trying to sound composed. This conversation is totally worth checking out. So let's book it and get circulating. Those are all my library puns out of the way. So here is my talk with Laura Mustard. Laura Mustard, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's always such a treat to get to chat with you about books and about learning. So I wanted to have you on today. Um, primarily to talk about what you do in the library and your role in St. Clement's. Um, so why don't you start by talking to us about your approach in the library and what's your philosophy? Absolutely. Uh, I'm really, really lucky in the St. Clement's library. We're a 1 to 12 school and I'm a 1 to 12 librarian. So in one space I work with everyone. And that is really part of what makes my job and my role special. It's about fostering relationships with um, the youngest students all the way to the oldest. And you actually get to see them grow up, I assume. Like you as a librarian can see people from grade one until they graduate. You haven't been there for that long though, have no, you? No, it's my, will be my sixth year next year. Okay. But I'm very, very lucky that kids I knew in the junior school are now in the middle school and the middle school are in the senior school. And I've seen how their sort of reading tastes have developed over the years. I remember when they all used to read Judy Bloom mm. and that kind of thing. <laughs> and now seeing them put together, you know, really high level work in their university applications. It's an amazing experience and those really close relationships with students are a huge part of I think what makes us successful in the library doing mm. our jobs and my sort of overall approach really has to do with using those kinds of relationships to help empower students to themselves be really critical consumers of information and users of information. Critical consumers of information. So break that down for people who aren't in our world. Sure. I mean, to make it sort of newsy and contemporary, we talk a lot about fake news. Mm -hmm. So understanding sort of the information landscape and how information is created and what it means when you're accessing it from various different ways and then how you go about synthesizing it for your own purposes is part of what we hope that we can allow students to do. And those are skills that they take and use for information when they're using it in their own lives and beyond the walls of St. Clement's mm -hmm. into university. And of course, those academic skills of citation and bibliography and all that stuff that will help them be successful in post-secondary. And then the other big part of my role is really promoting a love of reading and of yeah. literature within my school community. And that's the really fun <laughs> stuff and the stuff that obviously we vibe on being yeah. an English teacher and a librarian together. Um, 
So my philosophy is really about building meaningful relationships with students to empower them. You get paid to make people love books. Yeah. It's kind of an amazing job. It's and pretty awesome. Yeah, you know I have a crush on that kind of job. <laughs> it's like you, But I, you do that in the classroom as well in different ways. Like of teachers course. can figure that out. But it's really quite an amazing role for somebody like you who loves books, loves literature, loves reading. Um, did you always love reading and books and language like is that always part of your background um I think it has been I was sort of slow to come to reading as a fangirl myself like I don't think I loved books until I was maybe in grade three or four I was one of those kids that had to be like forced to read a book in grade one um so it is true that even if you don't always start that you can come to a love of reading but I've always definitely loved books and when I was finishing my undergraduate degree um I didn't really know what to do with myself. I had done a degree in English and philosophy, and the only thing I really knew about myself was that I loved books. So Mm -hmm. I investigated careers that would allow me to be around books, and and librarianship was a really natural fit. In your space, I'm wondering what are some of the tensions between innovation and tradition? Because it's an old school, not unlike the Bishop Strong School, and how do you balance those two energies in your domain? Absolutely. I think that oftentimes we're fighting against that old school stereotype of the librarianship and the cardigan and the bun and the shushing. But you do have amazing glasses. Thank you. Which... And I do often wear a bun and a cardigan because I do like to play with the stereotype. <laughs> but there's no shushing. And um, I think the older model of librarianship sees that role as the gatekeeper to information. Mm. And we're really, really not that anymore. Like we're I guess the opposite of a gatekeeper is like a doorway or something. Um, I think it's true that in the years that I've been at St. Clement's, that older model hasn't existed. We are just a busy space with so much stuff going on throughout the day, and we've always been a digital hub of information at the school. Mm -hmm. So that sort of older model of librarianship has never really been the case for me. I would say that the areas in which the tradition innovation tension can Mm -hmm. be felt are often um, spicing up some of the content areas that we're tasked with doing the instruction on so things like your MLA bibliography and your in-text citations that I mean even as an English teacher makes you like breathe in and feel like sort of soul crushed by so many feels (laughs) so many feels and I mean lots of teachers feel that way and so don't teach it or Mm -hmm. or don't know how to teach don't know how to teach don't don't feel comfortable and so asked us and we're so happy to do it but that's what I'm often reaching for a new tool that I've maybe learned about in Mm -hmm. cohort 21 to like spice it up I mean I can't tell you how much further you get at the end of one of those lessons when you just like do a kahoot yeah (laughs) right right um so finding new ways um I've used some sort of flipped classroom Mm -hmm. type experiences because a something that people often don't think about research as a process and as a set of skills that you're learning is it really is experiential yeah so if you can have students working through problems even if that problem is a citation problem with you in the space and they've already gotten the sort of like slides and the lecture and the direct instruction part from me in a video tutorial Mm -hmm. or whatever um to be in the space and working through those things together I find can really help answer a lot of questions in the in the moment and then that don't end up with students going online and googling like a easy bib knockoff to like 
generate the citation and coming up with something wackadoo. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I would say that that's sort of one area in which the innovation and tradition tension can be felt. And another one is my job is largely about collaborating with faculty. Yeah. So you really do learn to work with lots of different people's working skills. And I mean, I mean, I'm in a sort of, I think of it as like a service role and a support role. Like I'm here to work with what you're the curriculum that you're delivering in the way that you want to do it. So just being able to work with lots of different people who are doing instruction in lots of different ways. I would assume you have to be insanely flexible when you're working with the entire Faculty. body of teachers. Mm -hmm. um, what have you learned about collaboration by putting yourself in that kind of, I, I want to say vulnerable position? Yeah, it does feel a bit vulnerable. Um, a lot of it is about us putting ourselves out there and letting people know what we can do to help them. People, mm -hmm. I think, often consider true collaborations to be taking a lot more time. And, <clears throat> of course, that can be the case if you want us to, like, you know, plan an assessment together and deliver it and do, you know, all of that stuff. And it can take longer, but there are ways in which we can really, really make your life easier. And that's mm -hmm. what we're here to do. And we just want people to know what we're working on and to be able to take advantage of us. Yeah. And sometimes that involves reaching out to disciplines who might not think that the library has anything for them, like math and science. Right. Yeah. So what have you, I mean, can you think of anything off the top of your head? Yeah. Of exciting math and science collabs? Yeah. I was recently um, at a conference and there was a librarian who has a math background and she was talking about different ways to work reading into math curricula. And it was really, really, really interesting. Yeah, it was a lot about how seeing characters doing math in a book can help situate it for kids that are maybe feeling math anxiety, or on the other end of the spectrum, for kids who are real high flyers in math, being able to see some of the amazing real world stuff that you can do now. Oh, especially with girls, like we both teach in an all girls school, so for them to have those examples of girls being amazing at math would be potentially like really powerful for yeah. those people. Yeah. So wish me luck. I've planted a few seeds with our math teachers. I love it. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> and then you can come back on and tell us how it went. Yes, I will. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I think, you know, you started talking a little bit about your role and how important it is to have somebody in students' lives that are not directly evaluating them. And we've talked a little bit about that um, because you get to be the cool person who gets to like, I, I picture you being like a Muppet who like opens their trench coat and instead <laughs> of having like letters the way that that Muppet character did, you've got books and you're like, hey kid, come over here. I like that you made it non-threatening by making it a Muppet. You no, know, but like there's actually, like you can Google it, there's like this like Muppet that has a trench coat and in the like, you know, 90s when they were doing it, it was like letters, but you've just got books in the middle of your trench coat. Amazing. Yeah, so you're like the book dealer. That's the opposite of the gatekeeper. You're the book dealer Absolutely. of the school. Uh, so back to my question, um, how, how in your role do you help students see the value of learning for the sake of learning that's not being attached to a grade? And I, I think this might be more important to think about with like middle and senior school students. Definitely. Um, there's one example with junior school students that comes right to the top of my mind and it's because it happens every year and we basically are doing a countdown to it. It happens every year at about grade four or grade five. There's a corner of the shelves, like the physical stacks where the books are. Mm -hmm. And it always blows my mind that students 
go to the physical books to look for this information but there's that time of the year when all of a sudden they all want the puberty books oh my gosh yes and it is amazing we wait for it every single year and it happens like clockwork and we do not say a word we don't go over and help them we just wait and we can see out of our peripheral vision and hear that the books are being taken off the shelves and in small groups the girls are looking at these books and giggling and asking each other questions and talking about that health information that they need to have access to and that I remember so keenly you're too embarrassed to ask a parent mm -hmm. about and I can only imagine what happens when you google some of this stuff so I love that the library they really see as a safe place and then you know we can in our way in which we're not parents or teachers ask them like really casually if they have any questions in a way that they don't that doesn't embarrass them yeah. and you know we like leave the books in a little mess and let them come back and look at them and show their friends. Um, so there's that kind of stuff that happens in the library that I think is really special that has to do with like what our relationship with ki the kids is like. That's really amazing. I love that. I, love that. <laughs> I feel like you could set your watch to that like that time it's of so year. Like cute. the buds are coming on the trees and that's when yes. people are finding the puberty books. Exactly, exactly. Um, the other... Uh, relationship that's been really special was with uh we have the ap capstone program at st clemens and that's like a capstone research project at the end of this two-year program that's really amazing and being there as like a sounding board for the girls to talk through the research process with we have very strict ways in which we can interact with students in terms of like giving them information resources mm so that when students come to us and I had one student come and she was so excited that the night before super late at night she found this article that she wanted and she knew because of what we she had learned in the library that you could go to that person's bibliography and found out find out where they cited yes. and then you could look up that journal or that article in our JSTOR account and find it and like through that um, mm. sort of following the pebbles that every researcher is familiar with she found the exact perfect article that really like broke apart this really intimidating enormous like 100 page long paper that it was obviously the first time that she'd ever done anything like this and she felt so exhilarated by it yeah. and so empowered and I was just like so pleased that she wanted to come to me the next morning and tell me about this amazing research experience that she'd had. Well, it's a treasure hunt. Yeah. Like that's actually she's figuring out how to do an academic treasure hunt. Yeah. And that's you're exactly right like I don't think that you would be able to get that same experience if there was an assignment created to go down that rabbit hole exactly oh um do you see any like tips or lessons that teachers can learn from that like do we need to just like abolish grades and just develop relationships so students <laughs> can be um keen and curious and excited or what are some ways like okay actually let me rephrase that question entirely if you were to go into the classroom tomorrow let's say you were transported into whatever classroom you wanted to mm -hmm. what were some what could be some of the insights that you take into that based on how you get to interact with children free of grades yeah that's a great question um yeah i've spoken a lot about sort of making those relationships and i guess giving students a lot of a lot of room to experiment mm -hmm. And the fact that research is really like an experiential process um, means that, yeah, I think if we could give students maybe in like a formative way, lots of opportunities to interact 
with information resources in different contexts to help build their confidence as researchers that then when we set them to these kinds of um, summative tasks they might feel like better equipped mm -hmm. yeah and, and I just to play yeah play and it's so powerful for them to see that the same skills you use doing research in science is going to be what you're you know being asked to apply in the context of your English essay and in your history paper mm. so seeing those connections is really really powerful yeah thank you uh, what do you wish every person in your school understood about the library because I'm gonna confess I think that in my first you know two years of teaching I didn't really quite know how to fully leverage what kind of a powerful resource our library is and was at that time um, if you could wave your magic wand, what would everyone understand just know. about? Yeah, Amazing. like just know and do and get. Yes, absolutely. I think the library can tend still to um, attract like introverts and, and book people. So sometimes advocacy and being out there and marketing ourselves doesn't come easily. Mm. So I would say that what I really want people to know, if I could just make them know anything, is that like we are a service business we're here to help and we want to make less work for you and not more work and mm -hmm. at the same time you'll have better student outcomes if you work alongside us it's a great sell <laughs> um and then for i know for us uh word of mouth is really powerful so when i have a great collaboration with a with a teacher that if she or he is speaking to their colleagues that makes a huge difference mm. and then the other sort of side of that that I would love administrators in lots of different schools and in lots of different areas to know is that the library isn't just the space or isn't just the books it's about like professionally trained library staff yeah just yeah. a really important thing yeah and we're very lucky to work at schools where we have that but we have that budget yeah mm -hmm. and several people often too mm -hmm. like it's not just one person mm -hmm in this little silo by themselves, but you know, when we're really lucky is that's when there's like a team within that space. Absolutely. Okay, Laura Mustard, are you ready to do our ticket out the door? I which am. Which is a series of ridiculous questions that have <laughs> nothing to do with our interview. Fantastic. But they help us all just fall in love with you even more. <laughs> um, okay, so ticket out the door. Question number one, what's your favorite book to read to young people? To young people? Yeah. It is The Book With No Pictures, which is B.J. Novak's Pictureless Picture Book that makes you do silly voices and also makes them realize what a sort of constructed piece of work a book is. I love it. Uh, and, really and you great. say that you're like a silly monkey butt, so everyone loves that one. It's so good. How young would you start reading that with people? I start in grade one. That's great. And That's the great. ones and sixes reading buddies do it together and Aww. love it. It's a perfect one for that. Um, best gift you've ever received as a teacher or librarian? Oh, a student made me a book. Like she knew how to make a binding and like a cover and she drew a vase of flowers on it and she just gave me a book. That's precious. It was sweet. It was the sweetest thing. If you weren't a librarian, what would you be? Oh, in like an, a, a book reviewer, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I get to do that as part of my job, so it's kind of a cheat. Yeah, no, no, it's good. <laughs> uh, favorite edu celebrity? Oh, Seth. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, first thing you do when you come home at the end of the day? Oh, uh, hang out with my kid. Yeah. Yeah. What do you do to hang out with your kid, though? 
I totally let him take the lead. Right now, that means we're outside the entire afternoon. Yeah. Ranging, ranging around on on my quiet street and going to the park and going down the slide like a thousand times. A million times. A million times. Uh, okay, and last question. Uh, we are both part of Cohort 21, and the slogan is Rethinking Learning, the 21st Century. So what's the future of learning, Laura Mustard? <sighs> it's empowering students to be learners for the sake of learning. Mm, yeah, and you get to do that. I hope so, in yeah. some small way. Yeah, I can see it happening. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us in this conversation in your nice and cool basement with your kittens climbing all over us. It's <laughs> a joy to get to talk to you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for listening into my chat with Laura Mustard. Whether you are a librarian or not, chances are strong that you and your students interact with books and the library in some capacity. So I hope you're finishing this episode with a little more appreciation for the important work that these informational gateways or Muppet book dealers, as I call them, do in your teaching. If you got something of value out of our conversation, share this episode with a friend, book geek or not. Having other educators listen to this podcast is the best way that we can grow this show and get it into the ears of more thoughtful, keen people like you. That's all the time we have for today, folks. Keep reading. And remember, we are teaching tomorrow.